What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Getting the Cash Flow Game with K&K. Today, it's me, K, again. Crystal's on an assignment. What assignment it is, I don't know. But she is working on something. So, that's why she's not here. But anyway, so today, guys, um, I don't know. I would probably sit down, lock yourself in, hold on to somebody, something, I think even Monty was very entertained. I think she took a lot of notes, right, Monty? Yep, Monty took a lot of notes. Um, Mr. Ben Humble, Be Humble, is on the podcast today. In studio, another one in studio. So I'm stoked. Stoked. It's just nice to have people back in here, like being real, not having to do it over Zoom. So Ben is... um, Ben and I have similar energies, so if you know me, then you understand that. Ben does a few things that I don't do. Um, one is he gets to travel around the world and works from wherever, so unfortunately, I can't do that yet. Um, the other thing that uh, Ben gets to do does that I don't do is he raps. And the good news is, is if you make it through this entire podcast, he not only raps, he raps about real estate. So little background on Ben. I'm going to read it because my memory, I can barely remember my name half the time. So Ben was born in Romania at the time his country has communist rule. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Uh, his family escaped before revolution and landed in Austria. Um, refugee camp in 1990 after immigrating to Canada and eventually reuniting with his siblings. Ben developed a passion, life, or credit mindset. So basically, as you can see with a lot of entrepreneurs, came from basically lucky to be here, um, lives in Canada. He's actually been hanging out in uh, the States lately because I think if you're listening to this, you know about Canada. Nobody wants to be up there. But Ben is, Ben, I met my vendor mastermind. Ben is the type of guy that walks in a room and, you know, Ben walked in the room. He's happy. He's go lucky. He's positive. He's helpful. He's impactful. Um, he was on stage with us last, uh, mastermind. I think people, I saw people fall out of their chair. I probably somebody urinated their pants and I'm guessing somebody spit up water too. Super entertaining. Uh, he can go from zero to on the spot and bust out a rap song. We were doing that in one of the cars, but anyways, Ben is a super successful, um, real estate guy, uh, raising money, um, basically lending out debt, making a really good residual income. He's done the flipping, the wholesaling. That's who he lends to. He also has masterminds. He does coaching. Um, he speaks. So Ben is just a, a young man of a lot of knowledge and wealth. He's worked his ass off to get where he's at, has not been handed anything. But today we just talk a lot about um, like how is Ben being Ben? How does he travel around? His mindset um, how he's been able to set up his life, his business, where he's able to be on the road and just still crush it and do well. Um, and honestly, we just kind of went off on tangents here and there. And then obviously he ended up this whole episode with a rap. But anyways, I'm telling you right now, I don't care who you are. This podcast is for you. There's tons of nuggets. Very crazy story. You've never met anybody like Ben, I'm telling you. And um, I think you guys are really going to like this. And honestly... I think even I'll tell Monty will um, acknowledge this. 
you're going to take a lot of notes. You're going to probably listen to this one back because there's a lot of really good nuggets. And for those of you that are older and you might be like, how does this guy travel around and make money and you're jealous or you're haters, you should probably take more notes to learn how somebody, I think he's 36 years old, somewhere around there, maybe younger, has figured out how to have freedom, still make great money, still grow his business, still crush it. And at the same time, be an amazing nice guy. But without further ado, Ben Humble. Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Humble. Be humble. Sit down. Every time I see Ben, I say, be humble, sit down. Let's go. Ben is visiting us. He's li we're live in studio. It's not Zoom, so we're not wearing masks. Ben's uh, been a, on a hiatus from Canada, eh? How's she going? From a while. Yeah. How's she going? And uh, he's living in Carlsbad right now. How's that going? Dude, I love it. I love it. Been traveling, hanging out, checking out the States, just being mobile. I believe mobility is so important for us. So I'm just a mobile guy. I'm moving. I'm shaking. I'm living my best life. How old are you? 36. And you can work anywhere in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Because he set up the business that way. You know, I, I spent five years doing a whole lot of nothing but being busy. Another five years learning what I needed to do to create an actual life, sustainable business. And then another few years implementing it. And now we're just traveling, living on the road. Everything is completely mobile. The entire company. That 36. Yep. So let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit how we got, how we're here today right now in Carlsbad. How did you get here? The quick version. Quick version, immigrant, refugee, oldest of nine children. Uh, as an immigrant, we know we work for everything we got. I was going to be a musician as a kid and realized halfway through university that music wasn't going to pay the bills. So I dropped out. They said I was the most talented, laziest kid they had. So I didn't have any actual <laughs> discipline. They're like, you made it through two years of university and you didn't practice. I'm like, I know, because I'm that good. And they're like, but you're not good enough to do this without practice. And I'm like, well, forget it. If it sounds like a chore, I don't want to do it. Music was a passion. So I dropped out and I did the only thing I knew how to do, which was clean floors. I started cleaning carpets, cleaning floors, because my parents, all immigrants have a cleaning business at some point, right? <laughs> so I knew this game. So I started cleaning floors, cleaning floors. Eventually, I learned that I read somewhere in a passage that said, if you want to become a millionaire, buy a million dollars worth of real estate, and then let these people call tenants pay it off for you. And then 25 years later, when it's fully paid, you're worth a million bucks. And I thought, man, that's pretty cool. So then I got onto this real estate kick and I found a better vehicle, real estate and the cleaning service. So I just started buying houses at 21, 22, 23, 24. In Canada. In Canada. Yep. I got married at 23 and my wife and I bought about 300 properties and I just started going hardcore, started a lending business, started an education business and just been doing real estate for about 15 years in, in different capacities, but just always challenging the status quo. I raised about $40 million non-bank financing and always try to push right up against the line of what people tell me is possible. And, um, you know, as the pandemic hit, everything went digital. And, and I believe that it was a fulfillment of a prophecy from Y2K. Remember Y2K in yeah. 2000? I'm in church with my dad. I'm like in my teens, right? And they're like, if the lights go out, there's no Jesus. <laughs> but if they stay on, God blessed, right? Yeah, yeah. And we're... And we're in church and I'm like, let there be a Jesus, right? And the <laughs> lights stay on. And I'm like, I knew there was a God. But, you know, Y2K was like, hey, we're literally moving digitally. The entire world is moving this way. But we had 20 years to get ready. And then pandemic basically accelerated the digital revolution. In my mind, that's yeah. what, that's what oh, I believe yeah. happened. Okay, now you all work from home. Now you have to stay six feet apart. Now you got to do all this stuff. So companies that were already in that landscape, in that mind frame, Boom. could adapt quickly. The companies who didn't adapt didn't actually see the prophecy, and they just thought there can be 
you know, an industrial age business forever and they didn't have to follow the digital revolution. So I think that's what happened. So when it hit, we were already ready. All the real estate stuff went online. All the education stuff went online. The, the other business went online and it was easy. People started working from home. We have office building that frankly doesn't get used. It's been vacant for a year and a half. Sheesh. And uh, we just been living virtually and we created process that allowed us to basically travel. So now here, two years after the pandemic started, I've been traveling. Been literally traveling back and forth for over a year, hanging so out in different rad. places, literally living out of my SUV, uh, which is a life I never thought I'd have because just a couple years ago, I had six cars in the driveway, big house, all this stuff. And I just realized at some point that I don't need none of that stuff. It was me, my wife, and my dog in six cars. Like, what the hell we need that stuff for? So I read the four-hour work week for like the fifth time, and it just goes, now's the time, man. When everybody else is running away, they're fearful, they're scared, they're under lockdown, oppression, whatever, you got to go. Go live your four-hour work week life, and that's what I did. Did you sell all your stuff? Everything. Wow. Everything. I got like a, a couple cars, a Lambo left and whatever, but we sold everything, the house, the furniture. My wife, my wife became like a guru at selling stuff online. Like she just she got it dialed in. Uh, and now that I've been on the road for over a year, I realized that what, what I value has changed today. What I value today, the utility mapping in my life has been altered. Mobility is super valuable to me, very high on my list. And then freedom, my version of freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of proximity, freedom of, you know, thought. That, that stuff is way more valuable than things. Things yeah. to me, are, I've really lost their utility in my life. I just, I, I could care less. Um, that's, you know. that's pretty rad though, because a lot of people unfortunately learn that the hard way and later on in life. Yeah. Yeah, if you learn that at 50 or 60, you're like, that's a lot of missed years, right? Yeah. Well, we all have defining moments in our life. I think we go through different things, and you got to look at it like, is this a lesson that I'm learning, or is this like a lesson that I'm just a victim of? So I'd like to just be, take, take the lessons with life and use them as a defining moment for me. Like, I remember literally going to Naples, Florida. I'm out there. My wife and I are having brunch, which we never have done because we were so busy working for 10 years. We're having brunch, and the dog is sitting. Our, we got a little Yorkie, and he's sitting with us, and we're <laughs> eating. And the couple next to us, I look around at this brunch place, and everybody's in their, like, 60s, 70s, 80s. I don't know. They're, you know, they're older, right? So I look at the guy next to me, and I just, off the cuff of my head, I'm like, it's so nice to travel when you're young, you know? Like, Man, it would suck if I was like trying to do this when I'm like 70. And I realized right away that I insulted that guy and everybody else around me, I'm sure. But in a moment I said, hey man, I'm 36 doing this. I literally could have wasted another 30 years. And for what? For more. The idea of more. More money, more something, more safety, more security. More to me is the enemy of great. More to Ooh. me is the enemy of life. Yeah. Because we're so busy pursuing more and we forget that there's a diminishing return on more. I believe if you have, like as a, as a new investor, you have $100,000 of income coming in that's relatively passive. Mm -hmm. You can live whatever relative life you want. You have a rental, you have a house, you have a car, you'd have food, you'd have shelter, right? But then anything over and above that is just this idea of more, more cars, more houses, more net worth, more zeros at the end of your bank account. And it's not wrong, but we have to look at the price. And I was no longer willing to pay the price of like more. So what's your day like, what's your daily day like today with, like, so just kind of walk us through a, a typical day, you know, yeah. a week that you got to do. Cause somebody's like listening and saying, okay, well that's sounds great. But what does your day look like? Yeah. I bought back my life by finding amazing people okay. and really building out an organization okay. that, that will allow the company to keep growing and allow us to have our core mission, but without me doing any of the operational work. So we as entrepreneurs need to get out of ops. 
Anything that we do today is really preventing us from growing tomorrow. That's the way that I believe. So I learned how to hire people, recruit talent, bring people on board that believed in the mission, found a way to really compensate them and incentivize them to be part of the, the team. And it, it's not easy. Yeah, a lot so, of work. A lot of work, but I bought back, literally, I tried to buy back one day at a time. So for example, now I bought back my Mondays. Mondays are called Music Mondays. I'm working on putting out a music album. So I realized as a KPI, Key Performance Indicator, if I write two songs a week over 52 weeks, that's 104 songs. Hopefully out of 104, I can find four or five good ones for my EP. <laughs> right? yeah. So I just made a commitment to myself that I'm literally unavailable Mondays to anybody, including my own wife. Wow. And so I, I shifted. I compressed everything else that was happening in my life until the rest of the week. Then I said, Fridays are really for other things I want to do. Podcasts and It's Friday, everybody's here. It's Friday. Yeah. Right? You're like, what day is good for you? Friday. That's my day. This is my yeah. day for podcast. It's uninterrupted day. And for me, it's podcast networking, hanging out, living life with people, right? So it's really a, a high visibility day that usually pours over on the Saturdays. Sundays are really for me, my wife, family, my, you know, my, my creator. And I work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Simple as that. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm open for meetings. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm available for conversations, dialogue, revenue, org charts, all the stuff that we got to do in, in our real estate and education business and the other stuff we have. But if it's outside of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it does not exist in my life. So I force the constraint. And I realized in my life, I want constraint. Give me as much constraint and I will always find more opportunity. But I think we take too long. We take a two-hour thing that we should do as a leader of a business and we extend it to four or five hours. If somebody's getting involved in wholesaling or real estate investing or flipping for the first time, we spend so much time, so much time learning a bunch of stuff we're not actually going to do, so much time looking for deals instead of creating a process that will create deals through conversation, instead of hiring somebody who has a better expertise than us and cut down the time, we literally trade our time in pursuit of more money. So we literally have a job in self-employed land. So I just learned that my job as a business owner is to take people and process and simply connect the two mm -hmm. and allow them to do what they do, people and process and raise capital. That's it. If I'm in the weeds picking flyer colors and I'm in the weeds on the education looking at this and that, I just think we're really not, we don't have a business based on merit. We have a, base, a business based on our own individual effort as a leader. It's like, hey man, I made 50 grand in my business last year. Great. What did you pay yourself? I didn't pay myself anything. What would it cost for you to hire somebody to do the work that you did? It would cost $100,000. That is the going rate. Well, then your business lost 50 grand. It's as simple as that to me. So we cheat, I believe. We cheat because of many reasons. So that's my belief. I literally bought it back through being vigilant about time. Vigilant about time management. And through, through, that, um, through all of those constraints came freedom. So now I can be here with you literally for all day. Nobody's going to call me. Nobody's going to bother me. There's no meeting I need to go to. Wow. There's no revenue thing I need to do. Pretty impressive, dude, honestly. <clears throat> intention. I, I believe it's intentionality and maybe because I'm an immigrant, but I do everything with massive intentions. You know, I put, if I put my mind to it, I'm in 110. I'm not in 45 or 50. So when I put my mind to actually getting out of my business, an internal exit, right? I refer to it as when I put my mind and my intention, it was a nine out of 10 importance. I got a mentor. I got help, right? I started spending time and energy, literally buying back my life. And it just, it took me months, but you know what? I'm here today and I'm so thankful I did it. When you, um, I think for a lot of us, even I struggle with it. So when I look at you and I see this, it's like, it's impressive because it's hard to do what you did. It's really hard. I think because, you know, Kent was on stage and said, mm -hmm. you got to kill the hustler. 
Oh, I was like, loved it. It, it literally hit me in the heart. And he goes, so true. He goes, yeah, walk away from your business for a month. If it goes to shit, you don't have a business. You're like, yep. ooh. Yep. And I was like, kill the hustler. You like killed the hustler. Yeah. That's what you did. Yeah. Because you're a hustler. Yeah. I became one out of necessity to do what I had to do. Yeah. I was a musician. My identity was rooted in music and passion and life and having a good old time. Right. I wasn't like some business guy. So my pressing thought for the last 10, 15 years was how much time I was losing not doing music. How much time I was losing trying to impress other people in this business world. And it got to the point where I just wanted to go back to my roots as a musician and go, man, I want to play music. I want to hang out with musicians. I want to hang out with creative types people. I literally gave up hanging out with right brain people to hang out with left brain people for like 15 years. And you know how, you know what it does to a right brain person's soul when you hang out with left brain people all day? You know what I, like, it literally starts to eat away at your oh, soul. Oh, I you can feel imagine, me? yeah. Like, I'm in your, I'm in your spot, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing, like, this is epic. This is some right-brain people up in here, man. This is awesome. I go to a left-brain person's thing, cheapest microphone, cheapest paint color, cheapest whatever, cheap, 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 cheap. Monty, did you like that stuff? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I hate this. Yeah, you get a setup, you're like, kind of set You couldn't put a little more money into it, right? Yeah. So it's, it's not about right or wrong. I think it's just about I wanted to get back with people that understood where my head was at. And I believe a lot of us entrepreneurs were really kind of in, in that, not necessarily in that left brain dominant, but in that visionary right brain dominant mindset. And we absolutely need the polar opposite to be our number two. We need somebody who is analytical, data driven, left brain centered, and, and, and they can do the things, manage people, the stuff that we really struggle with internally. I don't want to manage somebody. I want to high five them and, you know, do some cool stuff, man. I'm, I, I'm not trying to do HR. Yeah. Right? You know, I, I want days off. Dude, I don't care. Go. Like, go yeah. or don't just go. Just get your shit done. Just yeah. get it done. Yeah. Come back when you're done. Just make sure you hit the goals and everybody's yeah. cool, right? Man, yeah. I, I don't want to babysit you all day. Yeah. So that's what it was. I came back to the right brain people and I'm like, yo, this is awesome. So now, so now I found that in my, in my world, merging the two together, like really merging the idea of like, because we do real estate education as well, education, growth, business development, and also a lot of the intangible right side of the brain, some of those conversations. So we use a lot of those elements, the intangibles with the tangibles to help people elevate and help people activate um, in real estate. So I'm literally doing stuff, helping people do stuff that I wanted to do for my own life. And I'm just thankful to be a part of my journey and other people's journey. It sounds kind of foo-foo, but, dude, I just love life. Every day no, I put you a do. smile on my face because I'm like, what do we got to be upset about? I know when Ben walks in a room, I can tell you that. It's full right. of life. It's full of fun. And I wear yeah. a red blazer everywhere I go. So you yeah. just know. I yeah. I'm wearing a Canadian flag everywhere I go. Yeah. So let's get tactical yeah. for a minute. Because I think a lot of people in life, whether they're entrepreneur or a lot of people you're probably teaching or stuck in a job they hate. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I got to create a side hustle that hopefully turns into like a full-time hustle, right? Mm -hmm. So if you back the train up, when you made, like you had a point where you're sitting here going, what am I doing? I got all this shit. I got the cars, the house, all this. But it's like, then you're like, I'm not really happy. This isn't fulfilling me and I'm not able to do what I want to do. What's the first step, whether it's you or somebody else that has to say, I've got a full-time job, but I'm not making time for a side hustle because I'm watching Netflix or this or that. Like you said, I'm distracted by all this stuff that's not moving the needle in my life. What's the first step somebody should be taking, like whether it's like starting to like do what they want to do, you know, whether it's financial freedom, get your time back, spend more time with your kids, whatever, right? Yeah, for me, and people have different emotional triggers, responses. For me, pain is a greater driver than hope. Okay. A lot of people hope. They're like, oh, maybe one day. When When I sit down with a person and I say, how badly do you want to get out of your job and into this life? 
right? They have hope because a lot of people don't actually see it in front of them. When they hang out with me, they come to a retreat or something or they come hang out with you like, oh my God, this life is awesome. They're able to actually validate their own hope and beliefs. And that's when people usually make that move to begin with. But they got to have enough pain. If you don't have any pain in your life and you're kind of like super comfortable, like I'm from Canada, it's a massive middle class, right? People are super comfortable. I want more, right? More is not the answer. You need a radically different approach. It's like when burn down the hustler, you, you got to have enough intensity in your body. You got to have enough intention behind what you want to do. Where you're like, dude, I'm literally a nine. Give me the broken spirited blue collar family man and I'll make him a millionaire. Don't give me some, you know, person who, hey, I kind of want to do it because you're not going to yeah, do it. No. You're going to seek comfort. You're going to seek what you have already. So the first tactical thing is what's the pain? What's the drive? What's the, what's the reason behind why you're doing it? Because when you get, when it gets hard and you don't want to do it and you get complacent and lazy, you're just not going to do it. It's as simple as that. Everybody talks about ideas and what should I do? It literally doesn't matter what you should do and how you should start as long as you start. And as long as you keep going every single day. Do I do this first or that first? It actually doesn't matter because I don't believe you're even going to do any of it. You're going to talk about it and then do nothing. So it doesn't matter. You want to find deals. You want to raise capital. You need to raise your awareness. So the person who goes, I really want to do this. You get a piece of paper out and you go, this is why I'm doing it. This is exactly why I'm doing it. And then we break it down into three or four things you need to do this week. You want to get in the business, the fastest way for me is throw you in the deep end. Because we have this fear of failure, right? Mm -hmm. We have all these fears that are from thousands of years ago, like somehow we're going to do real estate, we're going to knock on a door, and a bear is going to eat us. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You're like, oh my God, a bear, (laughs) fight or flight. You knock on a door, and because we're really not conditioned people, we're not trained. Want some water? Sure. We're not trained. So we go, flight, right? It's so hard. We need to harden you up a bit. So depending where that person's at in life, we have to just create a very tactical plan. So what I tell people is this. All right, get into the dialogue. You need dialogue with people. You need to put 100 reps in. You got to put a couple miles behind you before you get good at this game because it's a game. I think you would agree. Yeah. For me, it's a game. It's a sport mentality. 100%. You need reps. You got to get in there and start swinging the bat. Whatever metaphor you want to use, we got to get it in. So if you want to buy houses and you're brand new and you want to become an investor, what you need to do, thank you, get in. Start talking to people, man. And if you don't know how to market, you don't know how to get out there, that's when something like door knocking is so valuable because it's going to start conditioning you to their responses. See, I believe people learn when they're physically doing it. The problem with content is you're observing, not learning. You're not getting activated. You're just getting ideas. So you observe, which means you can talk about it, but that doesn't mean you can do it. I can watch a guy doing karate videos like the dude, like the famous dude now in Detroit who's teaching people how to do all this doesn't mean I can actually get up and do a karate yeah. move, right? And people are so busy consuming and observing, they're just not doing. So my very first thing is like, I'm going to put you on 75 hard Ooh. in my Let's program. I put everybody. We started a group yesterday in my community. I'm tired. I don't know if I want to do this. How about you just go and lose five pounds and show me you give a shit about your life? How about you go for two walks in the snow, right? Ooh. How about you go ahead? Because that's what we do in Canada. Like when we do 75 hard, it's in the snow and it's midnight. People need to go through basic training in life. If you've never been conditioned, if your body's never been conditioned, if your mind's never been conditioned, you're not going to do it. You're going to talk about it. You're going to take the lowest common denominator approach and you just won't do it. So I believe you get the body moving, you get everything else moving. So get your body going. And while you're doing 75 hard, you can start thinking about, okay, who am I talking to? You better get on the damn phone, put a Bluetooth in the ear and start calling some sellers when you're on 75 hard. Ooh. That may seem aggressive, Ooh. but dude, I'm an all in or, or just stop talking about it guy. 
because I'm, I'm sensitive to the result. It's one of my core values. Result. Nobody cares about the dialogue. You and I don't care. It doesn't pay for microphones. Yep. Right? Yeah. But the result does. Yeah. So if I just get people to the result, if I have them struggle all the way there, if I have them complain all the way there, it doesn't matter. Get the result. Because I'm just not a believer that effort is rewarded. You know, like we've been conditioned in this society where that is the case. Your opinion matters. It actually doesn't matter. It matters to you. Yep. Right? You don't have a valid opinion or an educated opinion. You have an opinion. And maybe that opinion was downloaded from somebody else's opinion. So you have third-hand opinions that you're given the world, right? It doesn't matter. We've become a very sensitive group of people that go, I want more. I want more. Give me the hungry blue-collar person. Give me that hungry blue-collar family man, family woman. Give me that 18-year-old kid. Give me somebody who is, I got somebody in my community who is like five years away from retirement. And they go, holy shit, I'm going to be broke at retirement. Good. It's about time you woke up. And that person... That person made $400,000. Her name's Allison. Shout out. 400 grand in her first 12 months in this business. And she's a school teacher. Why? Because she's like, I need to radically shift what I'm doing. I've been a school teacher for years. You said years. the word radically. Radically. That's a, that's a big word. Yeah, you know, I always tell people too, um, <clears throat> I think when the pandemic hit and stuff, people freak out. Yeah. I kind of go into, because of the crash last time, I'm in real estate. Mm-hmm. I kind of go into like the beast mode. Like, caveman mode like survival mode i think all of us do right like no this isn't the time to like go backwards i mean i called her she knows i'm like this is the time to step up and it's time to like dig in and go because why everybody else is zigging you're zagging right um but i always tell people I'm like this is not a sprint it's a marathon and that's what i like about it i'm like if so if you're not training your mind your body your soul everything for like this longer run. I feel like so many people just come out of the, I want to make a change. And they're going so hard and then they just hit the wall yeah. and they're like, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. I'm like, well, yeah. Cause you went so hard, so fast with like nothing tactical, you know, but a marathon, like I tell people a marathon runner, there's, there's, there's a, they're running away or that race a certain way. There's a, like a beginning, a middle and an end. If you're sprinting, they're like, I got to go from here to there. And I just got to, I got to beat this guy over here. Yeah. But that's short-lived, you know? So I just feel like a lot of people, they're just, they, oh my gosh, I want to make a move. Let me go read these books. Let me go to this course. Rah, 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 rah. And they come back and it's like, they're just exhausted. Yeah. They never got started. Well, I believe it's this. And, and again, I'm, I don't look to pontificate or like, you know, throw theories out. I'm just not yeah. that kind of guy. Like, I'm not trying to impress anybody. Yeah. But I believe motivation will get you started. For sure. I'm motivated today. I have some kind of motive. You know, I, I looked in the mirror. I was fat. So let me go to the gym today, right? Yeah. Uh, they do that financially. I looked at my bank account. I was broke. So let me go and try to make some money today. Yep. Motivation will get you started. But accountability and commitment will keep it going. So people go, I'm interested. Interested isn't good enough, man. You can't be interested. You got to be committed. Committed means you need to commit resources. And this is what people don't get. Is if you're intentional about achieving something, if you're so intentional and you're a 9 out of 10, then that means that 9 out of 10 of your resources need to follow that intentionality. Otherwise, you're not a person with conviction. See, my conviction runs so deep that if I say a word, I better be careful what I say because I like it's, it's the truth. I can't even apologize. My wife hates this. I'm like, I'll apologize because you feel bad. I ain't apologizing because I'm wrong because I believe I'm right. And whatever you believe in life, whatever your beliefs are, you're right. It's as simple as that. So I'm not here to change people's opinions. But your intentionality, your conviction needs to follow your words. 
I want to do it. Great, man. Are you a 9 out of 10? Is it that bad for you? 9 out of 10 pressure, 10 being like, I got to do this 100%. You're 90%. Great. You start putting 9 out of 10 resources. That's your money, by the way. Your money has to follow that. Your time and your energy. So if somebody goes, I only got two hours a day. Well, first of all, that's bullshit. No, you don't. You got more time than that. You mean you got two hours that you're allocating towards it because you're really a 4 out of 10. You got time. Every single person with a job has time. If you don't believe that and you say, I have no time, then you get to own that excuse for the rest of your life. Yep, 100%. So I, I'm very aware of what I say because if I say it, right? So my wife's like, if I tell my wife, I'm like, we're going to get pregnant. I look at her, she's going to be pregnant. <laughs> I don't even got to do the deed. I just, you know, I, I give her the it look. Happened. It happened. That's it. It's, it's that What's quick. going on? That's yeah. right. So it's just when you increase your intentions... When you increase your commitment, that's why I love 75 hard. It's, it's very much a logically very basic thing to do. You just do the thing. You follow the steps every day. It's really not. It's funny because it's really at the end of the day, it's not really about getting in shape of the weight loss. It's like what you just did yourself. It's here, about huh? no compromises for literally 75 days because I believe people compromise every single day of their life. A hundred percent. So you're used to making excuses. You've trained yourself. You bought all the excuses. You paid for them. You, you're, you're, you're so intentional about excuses. How could you ever possibly be intentional about success? It's as simple as that. So I, I, I get people just one little step, one little day, and some people go faster than others. Other people get the concepts, and you know. And I'm a very tactical guy. I'm just by n in nature, that's just how I am. Yeah. I behave tactically. So when somebody says, again, I'm a very emotional guy too. So I understand the emotional side of it. But there's literally a logical conclusion for what you want to achieve. You get help. You get a mentor. You learn. You apply yourself. You fail a few times. You're gonna have to fail and get hurt. And you have to keep moving forward. You do not have to go to zero. I'm not a believer that you got to go broke before you get rich. I've yeah. never been broke. Just, just, just to be. I don't have that story, right? I, I was a poor immigrant kid. Dad and mom worked very hard to put food on the table, and they did a great job. Shout out to mom and dad working two, three, four, five jobs. Wow. Dad became the most resourceful man I've ever seen. And when you see a person who's resourceful, and you observe that, and you become resourceful, I mean. Life, life opens up when you become resourceful. But people go, what's the answer? Where's the box? Hey, man, you want a job or you want freedom? What do you want? Yeah. You got to decide. And if you want a job, then real estate investing isn't a job. And I think a lot of people, they don't ever make that connection and they just turn it into a job. I'm a real estate investor. The bank told me, like in Canada, I can't get more than five doors of financing. Oh, what was me? The hell you doing, homie? <laughs> right? You walked into a retail bank, right? A TD bank who wasn't designed for you to leverage it for your real estate growth. It was designed to sell you a consumer mortgage. And you're like, they only gave me five, you know, doors. You're literally at the wrong place. Yeah. That's not what they do there. Yep. You got to go over here and you got to learn the game of raising capital. So that's my take on it, bro. Like I'm such a <laughs> believer that any human can do, can be successful. And at any age, and I care so much about the result. And the reason why I, I intimidate a lot of people is because I'm 36 and living my best life. And I could play this more chill, dude, and I could be 56 living my best life. The only difference is I wasted 20 years. Yeah. And me not being intense allows somebody else an excuse to waste another 10 years. I just can't live with myself. I literally feel guilty if I know you could achieve something and you could win like in two years and it's going to take you 10 because I just, I, I was too, uh, you know, I was too afraid to tell you the truth. I, I, I can't live that way. It's not integrity for me. So I'm aggressive that way. I'm aggressive. I tell people the truth. I have a very bipolar kind of personality. I'm really happy and exciting. The moment you go into business, let's get this shit done. We're not here to waste seven days a week, man. Sounds like me. We got three days, and then the other four days, come chill with me. Come hang out. Come have fun. Let's do music. Let's do life. But 
there is no more merit if it takes you longer. I agree. You see, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, we can't live that way. No. And people, like, they literally create a badge of honor. I've been at the Chrysler plant for the last 30 years. It's not, there's not a badge of honor. You've accepted that as your identity yeah. because you've been there 30 years, man. I want to say I made a million dollars in the shortest period of time possible, and right? I got out the game, and I went to do some shit I care about. Help people, have fun, play music, live my life, and live in peace and have mobility. I, don't, I spent an extra 10 years doing the same thing I could have done in two. And, man, you just, you just killed eight years of your life. Crazy. I just take it so seriously, dude, that, that to me it's like – it, it, there's no excuse behind it because I know and you know time is literally the only thing we can't get back. No. And it's such, you're, you're unfortunately, like, just talking about you, you're such a small part of the population. That's the, that's the crazy thing is you look at, if you look at the, you know, just Canada or U.S., it's just such a small pop, like, that think like you and everybody else just bitching and complaining, but they don't do anything about it. Well, we all have the opportunity. 100%. So, you know, the reason I'm an evangelist for this idea of like your own personal freedom, financial freedom, fiscal freedom, you know, emotional freedom. You know, I've been married 13 years. I believe in marriage, right? Nice. I think everybody can have an amazing marriage, but it takes you having to condition you. My dad taught me a long time ago, marriage is like two rough stones. And the whole purpose is that you create friction so you can polish those stones. Marriage is more about you than the other person. Like I became a better man because I'm married. Why? Because I had to deal with my shit. Yeah. <laughs> feel no. like oh, I know. I yeah. had to deal with the fact that, like, you know, servanthood and lower your ego. And, like, every, you know, the more I'm married, I believe the better I get. Yeah. No, 100%. Not loud all the time. I'm more quiet, more reserved, more whatever. But I think I, be, I, I become wiser. I, I learn how to deal with people. Like, if you can deal with your spouse, you can deal with anybody in the world. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's not even a knock. <laughs> Babe, that's not a knock. So uh, I'm just saying. But that's, yeah. I think that's what marriage, that's the benefit of marriage yeah. for me. I'm just saying. Um, I was going to ask you, um, I think it's a good topic. topic. What, how do you, how do you view money mm. in the sense that, um, I think some people look at money, they're like, they got to hold on to it, you know, mm. or some people look at money as a symbol or some people are like so obsessed with making money. Right. Mm. And then some people use, look at money as a vehicle, right? Mm. How do you view money? I love talking about this, by the way. It's one of my favorite subjects. I, I view it probably differently than most people in this world. Money to me is nothing more than liquidity. Simple. You take money and you're supposed to move it into something that produces more. I believe the nature of being an investor is the ability to multiply dollars. That's it. That's what an investor is to me. So if I have to bury my money, hide my money, keep it in equity, store the money, then I'm not investing. It literally goes against the nature of being an investor. Mm -hmm. So I see it literally as liquidity. And I see so many people in life, majority, that are afraid to look at money that way because they are hoarding it. And what they don't realize, and we could talk about inflation and other things, but what they don't realize is that they are simply losing that one thing, time. The more you hoard capital, the more time you're trading of your life because you're hanging on to 100 grand when you could be investing that $100,000, generating a, let's say, 30% return, that's $30,000, $33,000 per year that you could now apply to compound your life to compound your personal growth, but we hoard it. I meet people that are equity rich and cash flow poor. In my country of Canada, in my blue collar town, the average house has gone up about 85% in the last few years. Jesus. Which means Holy that shit. the average homeowner in my blue collar city has about $250,000 of equity. Equity for me is just another form of liquidity. Mm -hmm. If you tap the equity, 
you have $250,000 that you can redeploy. And I'm a man, like in, in my mm. world, I'm a 30% man. I can take a dollar and I can make a 30% return very comfortably in real estate with very low amount of my personal time. That's what we do. Wow. So I, I leverage capital all the time. I borrow capital at six, seven, eight, nine from people that are too afraid. And I'm the conduit between six, seven, eight, nine money to 30% money. How do I do that? I find amazing people that have active businesses that want to flip houses, that want to become landlords, and they have a mechanism, the real estate, but they need capital to fulfill. They need capital to buy the property, fix the property, resell the property, make a profit, keep it rented, all that stuff. I'm the conduit. I'll take your capital and I'll invest it over here. Did you become a partner with him in a way? I, I mean, I'm a partner with me, but okay. my, my job is this. My job is to trust but verify. So I believe it's an old biblical principle for me, stewardship. I believe that every dollar I have, my money or somebody else's, my marriage, my time, my energy, I'm a steward of that, which means that you have a responsibility to ask tough questions, a responsibility to get educated. So in my world, like we have one of our passive income streams in real estate is we just leverage five to $10 million of capital at seven points and redeploy it at 30 points. And the spread is literally what we just live on. How, so how are people paying me 30%? Well, you have to bring... You have to understand how the business operates. If you're a flipper, for example, yep. right? You need 500 grand to flip a property. Mm -hmm. I know that you can't walk into a traditional bank and go get 100% financing because they require some kind of downstroke. Yep. But if you go to the deal and it's a $500,000 property and you acquire this thing for 470, 460, because you do your job, you've got an instant $40,000 of equity, which the bank still won't give you credit for because they still want you to put 20% down. I look at the risk, the reward profile, and I can bring 100% capital to the table, which immediately increases the reasoning why they would want to work with me. I don't only bring capital. We, we as lenders should also bring our acumen to the table. Okay. I'm really good at business development and growth. So I'm like, hey, man, let me give you the money and let me give you an hour a month to help you grow your business, help you hire the next ah. employee, help you do this, help ah. you raise money, help you do this. Bring some of your energy <clears throat> to the table in addition to capital and immediately you are worth so much more to that person. Because I've literally been in that guy's shoes asking for money from people to flip houses. So my job is simple. I market to find relationships. I do this on social media. I do this on my email list. I do this with my real estate investing community. I find 10, 20, 30 amazing people that are honest, good, hardworking, blue collar, white collar, doesn't matter, no collar people that are just trying to make something happen, but they require capital infusion in their business. And I become their conduit. And er literally everybody can do this, but mom and dad over here who have worked for 30, 40 years to save their capital and the real estate went up in a hot market like we've had, they are too fearful. They don't have the connections and they're not investing the resources because they don't have a nine out of 10. I need to become an investor. They're a two out of 10. So I literally become their vehicle. You almost have like a debt fund in a way. Correct. Yeah. So we have an internal fund that we okay. use and we just move money in, move money out. And we do this in different verticals. We do it in a wholesaling vertical. So we literally help people build wholesaling businesses and we fund that. We do this in a flipping vertical. We do this in a landlord vertical. And we're just moving capital back and forth. And that to me as an investor, if, you're, if, you're, if you have personal financial discipline, because my wife and I, when we got married, the first three years, we budget every single penny. Wow. She would call me like, we're that $5 from last week. Like, what? I'm like, I had two McDoubles. <laughs> she, I forgot to put it in the spreadsheet. Right. She's like, where's the Damn. receipt for that McDouble? Well, you know, back then I didn't appreciate it. Right. But today what it created in me was this very black and white in my mind vision of like how you manage money. So when you become a fiduciary, when you understand your job is to literally leverage capital and grow capital and multiply it. 
Well, there's actually no shortage of opportunity. You can buy any property. You can help a thousand investors grow their business. You can help a thousand investors here leverage their capital. So for me, money is simply momentum. That's all it is. If you have confidence, you deploy money. When I find investors that go, my very first question, do you own real estate? Yes, I do. How much do you have in equity? 500,000. Man, you ain't got no confidence. Well, because if you did, you would actually extract that 500 and you would focus on an ROE metric, return on equity. Your ROE right now is zero. When a company, corporate, public, tradely company, well, if you look at the ROE number, if that's close to zero, that means they're really not growing internally. They're growing from other things. They're growing from external financing sources or, or, or hype or extrinsic value. Yeah. But intrinsic value comes from return on equity. So that's why I look at people and go, man, you ain't got no confidence. You're literally sitting on cash that you refuse to use for your growth, which means you're afraid. You can borrow that money at three, four, five points or leverage it in the secondary market at six, seven, eight. You can't make 20 points on your business. You ain't got a business. You're playing out of fear and scarcity. So that's how I look at money. Money equals confidence. And if you are the most confident operator in the room, money will always flow to you. In a bad market or in a good market, money is looking for safety. Money is looking for the most confident operator that understands risk mitigation and understands how to multiply those dollars. And it's as binary as that for me. If you have any other belief system around money, you got to hoard it, you have generational wealth and all that. It's fine to a degree and I understand people have reserves. I just disagree with the logic that somehow money is the idol. Like money, more dollars doesn't make your life better. No. It doesn't. Do, Hell no. It doesn't, bro. I, like literally all of us, I have a minimum viable lifestyle, like an MVL formula that I use for me. And, and I literally figure out what is my MVL? What is that number for me to live kind of my best life? Everything else from there on up, there's a compromise, right? So my MVL is around 250, right? I can travel. I can live in nice hotels. My wife's happy. We got walk-in closets everywhere we go. We got a Yorkie. And he's got to have <laughs> a couple like, beds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So about 250 a year, which may sound kind of a lot or a little, depends on your financial situation. Literally over 250, what do you do with it? And I know the answer is all of them, right? I'm going to invest it back for more real estate. Okay, who gives a shit? Because yeah. again, it's not actually increasing the value of your life. But are you going to trade a significant amount of your time to keep increasing? Very, very, very small. So we have to look at the diminishing return of more zeros in our bank account. And when we start to do that, you get to literally change your perspective on life. And now I'm like, cool, man. If we make an extra million dollars, it's just going to go into this thing. And I'm going to spend none of my time and energy on it. I'm literally just going to invest it in stuff. Or I'm going to start another business with a key stakeholder and a key quarterback. And they're going to run with it. The last thing I'll do is give up my music Mondays. You can't Not get that shit up. back. Nope. You can't get it back. Don't touch it. Don't you can't have it. it. Right? The only thing you can't get is my money because at my time, money's easy to come by. Yeah. I get online and go, hey, man, I'm a successful investor. I've done 300 deals, raised $40 million privately. Do you want to invest with me? Done. Right? And he starts with the smallest amount of credibility. Hey, man, I have my own house. Market went up. I have 200000 of equity. I sold that house. Put 200000 in the bank. Cash. Do you want to invest with me? I got $200,000. Let's go. But are you willing to sell your house? And take the two hundred thousand of debt equity, and put it into your future. You know, it's funny is, uh, so we do uh, residential commercial financing, yeah, and um, we invest obviously. So a lot of people call me to go, hey, I want to um, want to buy an investment property. I said, oh, okay, cool. Do you have any money? No. Do you own a house? Yeah. Oh, you have equity in your house. Cool. Do you have you have family? Yeah. Okay. I've, it's easy. It is. Yeah. Sell your house, and go rent. And take the money and buy it back. Oh, I can't do that. 
I said, why, why not? Well, my wife has said, what does your wife have to do with you investing your money? Literally, I have this conversation all the time. I go, and they go, but why would I do that? I said, because you just said you want to be a real estate investor. You don't have any other money. So you have money sitting there. Just go sell it. And well, I, we love this house. I said, wouldn't you love to be financial free or just like it just some people are like, I mean, there's a, I'm not going to mention her name, but there's a lady here. She's like, Hey, I want to refi. I go, yeah, you're not going to get enough out. She goes, fuck. What do I do? I said, sell your place. She's like, you think I should? I said, I'm not telling you what to do. I said, if you're asking me what I would do, I would sell my place. You don't have kids. You've got a dog. Go sell it, go rent or go buy more. You have a two unit sell it. We can do this and that. You could turn it eight units. She just sold her place last week. She's like, okay, let's go. I mean, she's in the business. She sells commercial real estate, yeah. but she's just, it's, it's different when you're selling something. Are you going to actually do it? I'm like, I'm like, so you're selling this and you believe in it, but are you doing it? Like you said, it'd be one thing you're selling this program, but you're like, I don't live my life like that. I'm completely different. Yeah. See, that's an interesting thought that you bring up. You know, we, we grew up a lot of our parents and stuff in the industrial age, right? Yeah. So there's, I believe there's like this sunken time and sunken cost fallacy. So I spent 40 years to get this house, yeah. right? I traded three houses to get here. I spent 40 years to get this car or whatever it was. Crazy. And we immediately switch over to the information age, which is radically faster, right? Yeah. And people go, there's, but I spent so much of my life to get to this point. They really don't want to encounter the new reality of how we live. When they see a kid like me and they go, 36 and you got millions of dollars on the go and you're doing all this stuff and you're not even working. There's only two responses. I'm either like a complete scam to people who've been working in the blue collar factory for 40 years. Oh yeah. Or they go, holy shit, how'd you do that? And oh, like, you're going to lose all this guy's a scam. Yeah. Scam. But I, I mean, for 15 years, everything's been peachy, right? <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's that it's, it's, I believe it's a sunken time fallacy. So when you tell somebody like, Hey, listen, I've got a drastically better way of you living your life. Sell what you built and use it and leverage it because your opportunities are now so much bigger. It'd be like me telling somebody who just bought their very first duplex to sell it and go buy something in the metaverse. Oh, I mean, I can't do that, right? But it's, it's, it's relatively the same principle. So I think it's just that we spent so much of our life getting here and, and we're literally playing not to lose instead of playing to win. And when we can tap into that for people and we go, do you know that's what you're doing? Then they're gonna have to make a hard decision. Do you wanna win more? then you don't want to lose. You know, the saddest thing is, is most of those people that don't move forward to do that and they come back to me a year later and talk and I go, why didn't you do it? And their answer is, so I was talking to my parents and they're like, yeah, that's a really bad idea. And I said, oh, do your parents own, do you, what do your parents do? Well, you know, they're W2 and they're concerned. Oh, okay. So you're, so you see, it's like, okay, so you're, like you said, you're going backwards. It's like, but your parents, you just said, a year ago, you didn't want to be like your parents. Yeah. But it's unbelievable how people go back to the nest egg and ask for that confidence or that, you know, I mean, do you think I should really do this? Mm -hmm. Well, mm. there's a challenge with that. This happens in education all the time. You know, when I was young, I wanted to get everybody's approval, right? I'm 21 buying yeah. houses and I go to my family, my friends and whatever, like, look what I'm doing. And you've heard these stories, yeah. right? And, and, and they're not supporting you, right? People are like, why is that? Well, you're seeking validation from people that really don't have the experience and the resources to validate you. You really, they can't validate you. They can't validate that you're 25 trying to buy real estate, fix houses and make a living because they've been in the factory for 30 years. If they validate you, you're right. You're doing the right thing. You're a hundred percent right. They just invalidated their entire life. 
No, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like we say in Avengers, which we're both a part of, um, is you walk in that room, there's like 70, hundred badass people. I said, yeah. I, I, but they're giving, I said, but the cool thing is, is that if you're winning, I'm like, I get it. Congratulations. Yeah. But if somebody, you walk in another room and nobody's winning and everybody's kind of more like selfish and mm-hmm. you go, I'm winning. They're like, F you bro. Yeah. You're like, it's, it's, unbel- it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, so I think we realize, I mean, that's, what I tell people like, if you're going to start winning and you're around people that are not winning, it's going to be really hard to, to like, you know, it's going to be very hard and difficult. But if you get in a room of people that are winning and you start making little moves and this and that, and they congratulate you, high five you and let's go, let's do this. It's so much easier. But I mean, these people are just, I tell people get in a different room. So let me ask you how important one out of 10 is it to you to have that proximity to people? Like in your mind, your resources, how much of your stuff do you spend to get into those rooms and be with people like that? So first mastermind ever was Avengers. Mm. And so <clears throat> I, I tell people, I walked in the room, I look around, I don't know what's going on in here. You know, the first table I walk up to, I knew Kent Clothier, hey, Wags is sitting there like a dumbass. I don't know who he is. I go, oh, hey, what do you do? Everybody starts chuckling. I was like, is there a joke here or something? Like, because I don't know he's going to go on stage. I don't know he's, I don't know anything. I'm literally walking in. Yeah. I knew Kent because I had him on the podcast. I went over there, met his offices. I was like, hey, are you part of, the, oh, you are? Okay, I'm going to jump. I, I was like, by the first person to write a check for Avengers. I'm like, why are you calling? We're not even ready. I'm like, well, I was excited. And then Wag says, you know, not, he's like, oh, I do all this. I was like, oh, okay. And I realized, you know, Stuman's at the table this, and I didn't have a clue, but, then I realized a year later, I know walk back in the room here, we're high-fiving, we're hugging, we're celebrating our wins, and we're making moves. So for me, the only regret is I didn't do this, you know, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And maybe it wasn't as possible, but so it's, it's, it's completely life-changing. And it's not that I'm doing anything different. I'm just around a lot of people that do things different. Yeah. So if there's 100 people in the world... We're a very small percentage, but we're doing more shit than 95 and five are doing more than 95. So I realize there's a lot of badass people here doing a lot of great things, but they're all here to help each other. Mm. And that's very, it's like a, it's like Navy SEAL, you know, small team, tactical, resourceful, badass. That's how I see it. I mean, look, look what we can do. I mean, that's how I tell people, imagine we all did something together. Yeah. That'd be huge. That's how I look at it. So for me, it's, um, it's, it's super important. Yeah. 10, 12, 13. Yeah, and, and that's and, the and answer. You, yeah, yeah. That's the answer because obviously your time and energy is there too, and I feel the same way. Like I've, I've left my country momentarily to go and find rooms, like proximity. Yeah. You know, I'm literally paying for proximity. People don't get it. Like I've spent 300 grand for groups like this already, yeah. right? Wow. How would you spend so much money? Well, dude, proximity. And it's not through osmosis. Like we don't go there like, oh, I see Kenny and he's cool. Now all of a sudden I'm going to be rich because yeah. I saw Kenny. Yeah. It's the dialogue. It's the intention in the room. It's it's the conversations that happen. It's the nugget you get. Oh my god! I didn't think of that. The nugget or the awareness. Like I didn't know how the metaverse thing works, and I go to that last event. Like, oh wow, this is cool. Now it gives me an advantage to go and apply myself and go and if I want, go build something in that space. Same thought ahead of you. Right? What can I go and do now? But had I not been in the room to get confidence, because that's what we're really lacking. Right? We don't know when we go get free advice from family and friends. We're all questioning it. And I don't know why we do this, but we're like, what do you think I should do when you know that person is not qualified to give you an answer on real estate, right? But what do you think I should do? 
we're, we really want confidence, but we're, we're, we'll accept validation, right? Like, yeah. I don't think you should buy it because of yada, yada. So I have the same thing. People go, my mom said not to do this. I'm like, is your mom a real estate investor? <laughs> yes, I just said, yeah. If no. not FTB, and you know what FTB stands, right? I don't want to say. FTB, F that B, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> my mom said, my mom said, listen, your mom loves you. She wants what's best for you. She's always going to want what's best for you. Even when you have 100 properties, she's going to come back and be worried about you. Yeah. Right? She's going to want you to do the best thing possible. You have one or 100. She really doesn't care. Doesn't it's even, not going to change. She doesn't even know yeah. the difference. Yeah. But it's like we have to go to people that can validate us. So that's what it is for me. Like, hey, man, I'm thinking of doing this business. When I'm sitting across from you or somebody who's done a whole bunch of stuff in this space, and I'm like, and I get the validation there because you're actually qualified. So to me, it's like walking into a room of a bunch of surgeons and asking about a surgery pr procedure I want to get. Versus walking into the street and going, should I get this surgery? That to me is counsel versus advice. Yeah. And I think that's what those rooms allow us is that level of confidence. Like that's a good play. My intuition, my wisdom, my experience says that's a good play. Go forward. Or it's not a good play. Don't do that. You should try this. Or try this and that because I've already, right. I did that way and it didn't work. This is the faster route. That's right. It's funny. So before um, the last mastermind, just to give you an example, there's two things on my mind. I was like, man. I mean, we, I talked to her about one. One was like, we really need to work on PR, like local PR. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm going to hopefully hit somebody up in there on PR. And the second thing was, hopefully somebody talks about the metaverse. So not only did that girl, Jen, walk up there yeah. and knock her salsa on PR, I was like, uh, check. And then metaverse, check. And then our breakout, we were in breakout, you know, with Cole. And I'm sitting there going, does anybody like want to need to talk about anything? Or like, why? I'm like, does anything on their mind? They're like, not really. I'm like, do you guys want to talk about the metaverse? They're like, fuck yeah. I was like, okay. Cole's like, sweet. We talked about the metaverse. You know, and then there's a couple people in the end, like they had a couple tactical things to talk about. And then it was like, cool. Second breakout we got into, it was like, everybody's doing that breathing session with, uh, you know, Shannon. And they came in all like, it was more emotional, but that's what I said in mine is those groups that, you know, is a lot of those people are very, very busy people. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of stuff going on. Some people in there like you, you have coaching programs. Some people in there are one-on-one. -on -one. Some people just to call and talk to somebody for an hour, they charge $20,000, maybe more, maybe less. I don't know. So I said, I'm just grateful because I get to be in a room where everybody's really busy doing a lot of great things, but I get everybody's time and you're giving me feedback. I can go over here and talk to you about crypto. I can talk to you about metaverse. I can talk to you about PR. I can talk to you about marketing. I can talk to you about starting a you know, course, whatever. And it's like, we're giving each other's time. That to me is so valuable. And that's why I said, I said the amount the, that I have all your guys' attention right here and I could ask you anything and I could say, I have this problem, I have that problem like this and I'm going to get the lady that started Cauliflower or the guy that's doing a billion dollars in sales, some commercial, you know, or Josh over here, whatever. And I'm, you're going to give me your opinion. Where do you get that? Mm. That doesn't exist. Maybe you know somebody in your life, there's one person that's super successful and you got to get an appointment and you got to go buy him lunch and he's never available. Imagine if your room were like, well, there's 10 of those just in this circle there and there's 70 of them. That's very powerful. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy to get because people that are busy, they also don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Or do they want to give the time to you and I? Yeah. I don't know you, but if they're in that room, they're in that room because they're there to give their time. Yeah. Two, three days. And that is very powerful. So I just tell everybody in that room, I have so grateful gratitude of that that like I realize how busy everybody is and how valuable your time is and that I get it, it's, that's very impactful. I believe that's a measure of success is gratitude. Like a person who's like, I'm so thankful. 
you know, I'm grateful for what I'm doing. This is awesome. That's a successful person because in their heart, they're living in a way that aligns with their vision for who they are, right? Like, I'm thankful. I'm successful. This is happening. So when I, when you say that, I'm like, that's a successful people who are unthankful, ungrateful, always, always looking for more, right? They're, they're, the greed flares all the time. They're always unhappy. That's a person who really struggles with their self-image. So a person who's successful in my mind is grateful. They go, hey, man, so good to be here. Yeah. Right? Gratitude. Right. It yeah. fights the scarcity. It's as simple as that. When you're thankful for what you got, you kill that scarcity. And that's what's cool with the room. Like, wow, I get to be in a room with this guy and this guy and this guy. And, and, and there's, again, so many benefits of just being there. I'm, gonna, I'm a big observer. So when I go to anything, I'm observing first. Right. And that's how I learn a lot is watch. I watch how they do, you know, whatever. I watch how people talk. I watch how they connect. I watch people. I watch the relationships. And through that observation to me comes a level of confidence and awareness. So I love being in these environments where I'm just observing going, wow, that does work. That does work. That does work. And when you're in an abundant room environment like that, it's so reassuring. So I just, I think that's how we keep programming. And a person who really gets aggressive on this personal growth and masterminds and that kind of thing. I think you're going to find out five, 10 years from now, your life is just exponentially better because you have so many allies. Oh, gosh. You feel me? Like there's so many people in your life that are allies. And one of my first mentors, Chris, I give him credit for this a lot. He taught me there's an allies and friends. He says, friends will drag you down. Friends will be codependent, right? It's Friday night. What we doing, B? Right? We got to go and get whatever we're doing. And that's a friend. An ally, I could see you one time. I, I see that you have a mission. I respect your mission. I could not see you for another two years. And when I see you again, bro, how you doing? How's your mission? And you go, still good. Awesome. Two years could lapse. And you're like right back where you started. A friend is like, you ain't called me in two years, B. Where you been? Right? <laughs> we were trying to get tacos one time. And you didn't come. I'm, I'm upset. So that, I think that's the beautiful part with Mastermind. Yeah, it's funny because um, we don't talk to everybody in the Mastermind all the time because we're busy. And then you go see him and it's like right back where you left off. How you doing? Crushing right. it. What's new? Sweet. Fired up. Let's go. You know? And I think, I think you're right. Like, um, I think, you know, all of us sitting in this room have had to learn that where you're like, you've had to learn to walk away from friends or realize like, wow, like they're not pushing me. They're not really, they're not really adding value to my life. They're more like sucking. They're more like, because I might be adding value to their life. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they're like pulling me back. And it's like, dude, like, you know, they're not helping. So, you know, you walk in that room, everybody's like, what do you mean you didn't do that? You need to go get that shit done, dude. You should do that. Yeah, and to people listening, I think it's important to realize that, that that's literally a bridge you have to cross. Like, there's a whole bunch of people here that you grew up with and you knew and whatever else. And then it gets really lonely for a while because you just give that less resource, less attention, right? Like, no, I can't come out with you guys. I got to work or I have to do this or I have to do that. Eventually, they start to feel like you're not a part of them and you feel like you're a loner. I felt that way. I'm a loner business owner, so I develop an identity of a grinder. I think that's where that comes from. I'm just going to grind it. Then it's yeah. just about me, just about my ego. I'll buy cool shit. I'll show off to everybody, and I'm going to show them. And you're literally working to prove them wrong, yeah. not to prove you right. But eventually, when you cross the bridge, you actually find that there's a whole group of people on the other side of that bridge who go, oh, this is actually another version of that same family. And we're actually all elevating each other. We're all supporting you. We're all helping you grow. I call them leechers versus reachers. You're a reacher. I'm a reacher. We're reaching together. I right? love that. When I see you, we're reaching, bro. We're reaching for stuff. But then you got people in your life that are leechers. And you're trying to reach and they grab on you and try to pull you. Like they're trying to leech onto you. And the weight of that is difficult. So when I see a reacher doing this, their thing and they're crushing it and they're doing life and they're happy and positive, 
You hang out with reachers and everybody reaches further. Hang out with leechers and nobody reaches. That's a that's, that's bars. That's <laughs> good. That's good. So um, we were at Avengers and um, somebody didn't show up. So somebody said, Ben, you got to go on stage and speak. By the way, you like crushed it. Thank you. Props. Um, yeah. Super entertaining, especially with... Uh, a med's language. I think I saw someone spit <laughs> up water. <laughs> I told him that. You know, I, I think I met him the day before. Yeah, and, and, and he, it was funny. He was here Friday. <laughs> he was here hanging out, and because uh, Monty knows him, he was on the podcast. So I, w- I went up, and it was like so funny, but super entertaining. Um, but I want to talk about your your suit. Like you're you're just fired up. You're very like you're you know you walk. Like I said you're walking in a room. You have the presence. Um, in that room, there's a lot of presence. There's a lot of personalities. There's yeah. a lot of, you know, a lot of people doing a lot of big things, which is cool, right? Um, so when you're walking around the real world, you're attracting a lot of people to you. So you're actually using that and you're good. And one of the things you're doing is you're doing like these kind of your own mastermind things. I was going to have to talk about that, which you're incorporating like the mastermind and your passion for music and kind of like talk about that. Have you been doing this for a while? How do those go? Like what's the impact you've seen over this over time? Mm. So today my life is more about impact than income. Okay. Not that income isn't important, it matters, but it's secondary to impact. Okay. So everything I do is kind of with that lens first. Okay. So we've got a real estate community in Canada. We've got a mastermind that we run. And it's it's a multi kind of um, sensory and multi uh, approach to getting people activated. That's my keyword here. So it's one thing to teach them, one thing to kind of give them tactics. But I think that we are, we're kind of split in half as humans. We have the emotional side and the logical side. And when we want to help people and activate them, we actually have to find a way to marry the two. So when I get on stage, I, I understand that there are very emotional people and very logical people. And then there's some people living in between depending on what their mood is currently. So I, I like to speak to both and find a way to marry that with dialogue, with humor, but also leave them with a level of tactical execution that they're not going to walk away with like this is just a comedy show. So what I started to do was I, you know, a lot of people are, are stuck in this marketplace because they feel oppressed especially in the Canadian market. They feel oppressed with real estate because it's a hot market. You know, there's a lot of shutdowns and mandates and things like that that people feel like I should just kind of wait it out. And I realized that they're trying to logically kind of talk themselves into real estate, but emotionally they're, they're wrecked. Wow. So what we started doing is these retreats. And the retreats are designed to marry those two elements. It's help you on your spiritual development, help you on clarity and mindset, help you develop strategy, and really help you put a plan into to, to tactically execute when you go home to be able to do that and now we opened it up to obviously american folks and canadians so that's the nature of it. it's impact it's to take a person who's kind of stuck and maybe they're not inspired they don't have the tactical know-how or maybe they do but they're just not doing the work because they just don't feel like they don't feel like they're gonna win or they're not gonna win enough by doing it so we started creating these events for that purpose and that's the way i do everything you know when if i get on a stage i really look at the audience and i go What's going to really resonate with them and what would bring them true tactical value? And then how do you wrap that into humor and, and how do you wrap that into entertainment? I believe if you can entertain somebody, then you can educate them, then you can extract. I think it's that simple. I've done a lot of stage stuff in the past. And most people try to logically extract or activate is a better word. But I believe you got to entertain people because people are used to watching content. They're used to just like... You got to get up on a stage and you got to be okay with, even in a room of ballers, to just go, hey, man, I'm a dumbass and I'm here and I'm going to crack a joke. Yeah. And people just go, oh, okay, cool. 
yeah. you get up there like, well, my, uh, you know, my dick is 18 feet long and I have the capacity <laughs> to understand uh, all these different metrics. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you should facilitate these uh, yeah. you know, financial metrics. Yeah. And then people go, ah, oh, this guy, I don't want to hear this guy. I mean, people were, for, with you, you're just <laughs> rolling. Yeah. But it was entertaining, but tactical and walked away with a great message. Yeah. So there's actually a methodology for me for sure. how I do that. Again, I'm pretty logical up here, even though my, you know, I'm very entertaining out here. Inside, it's it's really marrying those elements. So I'm very particular in my brain. Make sure you you know tell an awesome story. Story tethers people, right? If you tell a great story, connect somebody at the heart level, then you can start to connect with them at the head level, right? So get them connected, get them excited, get them happy, get them positive, get them upbeat, and then you can go. Here's a cool tactical takeaway for you guys, and go as tactical as you can. Here's the link. Here's the website. Here's what you do, and that's how I run the events too. Is I realize that when people first show up somewhere. I try to be empathetic in everything. This is how I bought a lot of real estate is I, I really focus on empathetic selling or empathetic storytelling. So if I'm sitting across from anybody, I really want to understand what's their goal. What are they trying to achieve? What mood are they in? Why are they even here? And if we can get into somebody's headspace that way and truly live in their experience of it. So for me, it's almost like I'm detaching myself and there's a third party watching me educate, teach, and you know, entertain. And I go, are they, are they getting it? versus me and my ego. So I just believe in all things that I want to do. If you want to create true impact, it's all about empathy. It's not about ego. So I reduce the ego, reduce what I know, reduce my experience, reduce me, but I want to create as much experience that adds value from an empathetic standpoint. So that's why the audience, when they're different, you bring out different things. But that's what the events do. They're a passion for me. And I believe my pastor told me a long time ago, he said that music has the ability to reach the corners of the soul where the 100%. spoken word cannot. So true, right? Music is just... That's what I believe. Yeah. And I loved it. When I heard it, I stole it. And it, it, So for me, like we do these events and I incorporate a lot of music. I incorporate music because we need healing. I incorporate music because we need to feel a certain way. We need, to, we need to reconnect the heart and the head together. I mean, go to a concert, right? Pick somebody that's amazing. Yeah. The baby walks in there. If somebody's amazing, by the end, it's like, you know, if, if you're going there to dance, you're, everybody is like, you know, walking out of there, like they, they put their car on, they're dancing on the way home. If you went there to go see somebody that's like Sade and you want to, you're, you're going home and you're like, you know, carrying your wife, like, we're going to go do this tonight, you know, okay, it's like, okay. whatever, but you can just see it. Like, you know, like Monty went and saw the comedian, like you're, you go in there, oh, I've got to, you know, had the day wipe work off, then if the guy's good, within five minutes, you're engaged, you don't even care about anything, you're laughing your ass off, right? right. And so I think, but I think I agree with you, music to, music to me, I don't sing it, I don't play it, but I listen to a shit ton Bro, of it. you look like you sing it and play it. Like <laughs> you, you straight up, when I saw it, like, this guy's a straight guitar player, like, you're doing emo stuff, like, I don't know. You yeah, just, you no. Know, maybe it's because you're Josh, call. Josh called me a, uh, uh, what do you call me? We were in the breakout, and he goes something like... Uh, yeah, and some people in here, uh, they look like a stoner with a trucker hat. And what do you know? They're <laughs> successful. <laughs> like something like that. So three things. Yeah. Three things. Um, and then we're going to end with something really exciting, guys. Cool. Um, first thing is, is uh, where can people find you to learn more about you, follow you, get your message? So humble.ceo. That's the website, humble.ceo. You can link to my Instagram, Facebook, and my whole world that way. Boom. Um, second question we always ask, what's your definition of generational wealth? That's a great question. 
We've asked a lot of people. I love that question. What's your version of generational wealth? A lot of good answers I've had. Yeah. So my response may be interesting, but I believe when we break what I define as poverty, then generational wealth just keeps expanding. So we have financial poverty, spiritual poverty, mental poverty. When somebody in your lineage breaks that, my dad did it for me. My dad broke all of them to a degree. It allowed me to flourish and just live in abundance. Whatever I do is a symptom of the root cause, which is my dad. My dad taught me that, you know, somebody slaps you in the face, it's your choice to get upset. My dad taught me about how to break spiritual poverty, how to break mental poverty. And that made financial, like breaking financial poverty or, or, or becoming a millionaire, the first millionaire in my family, that made it so much easier. So I think if somebody simply breaks that and that narrative gets passed, that's, that's wealth to me. That is wealth because then there's no... There's no limitation, financially, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, no limitation. And it just takes one person to break that, and that becomes your lineage. And I think that's amazing. I don't think we've had that answer before. So last but not least, so what you guys might not know about Ben is, uh, let me give you a story. So we were, uh, so we were headed to uh, the house. We were going from the hotel to the house an event where this last weekend. And I looked at, there was three buses, two were white, one was black. And I looked at the two white ones. I said, well, these are kind of normal seats. And I peeked my head in the black one and there was nobody in there and it was a party bus. So I said, well, I'm going to go on the party bus. And I was like, hopefully some people walk in here that are entertaining. Jesse Lee walks in this guy that was there that just took an exit from Blue Apron was there. Um, I think Dave Alritz, everybody comes in. And I was like, gosh. And all of a sudden, here comes Ben walking in. And I was like, well, we're definitely going to party. <laughs> we're definitely going to entertain. And we're definitely going to rap. Yes. So, not only does Ben just rap, this is a, you know, getting the cash flow game with K&K. Ben raps about friggin' real estate. Mm. So... Ben, I don't know how you want to get this going. I mean, I don't know if you need to jump up. You need to get some, you know, j- no, jump good. jacks. But I, he can just go off the thing. But you tell me. But let's you know. do it. Uh, you know, we'll do a, a, a real estate rap. Yeah, some for wholesalers get in the game. How do you actually like get in this game? So why, why don't we try to do this like interactive if we can? So let's just. Is that cool? Yeah. Uh. So if you're a wholesaler trying to get in this game, we might speed this up. Can he take lower than you ever thought you could? The market's up, so cash out. Time of the sale, couldn't get any better. Bills behind, but now you caught up. The paper signed, I seen you do it. Give me the keys, get out the door. My bandit signs, I posted for town. So how low can you go? Meeting sellers face-to-face and bring a contract. That's the game and speed to lead. Real crush competition. Sorry, haters. Y'all too late in practice in front of that mirror and close the deal before you pay more. Nobody's always bitching. Just pick up the phone and dial, bro. I'm making offers lower than an email. Blasted simple follow-through. I pull up to your crib trying to close the deal in front of you. My VA is a superstar. Heavy accent, but huge follow through blowing up your phone all day because one thing that we trying to do how low can you go how low can you go and how low can you go how low can you go how low can you go how low and can you go and how low can you go uh yeah uh, like ready here we go 
I'd be like, knock, knock, open up. Oh, the seller, ain't nobody home. How many clicks to take to the seller to fill out the form? Let me buy that home. You can sign on a laptop. As soon as I get to this file drop, H U M B L E D, still clothes, never deal singing hip hop. Oh, police from County Records and already takes it simple, really. Uh, if the seller want more, I'll refer our realtor. I know y'all feel me. Cause it looked like white vanilla, grew up more caramel. And when it comes <laughs> to chocolate, I'm rapping oh so well in Asian VA. No discrimination. Competitors wanna be us. I wanna tease them, but my mindset is on point, so what's that reason? Kenny, right? Yep. Yeah. We, yeah, we gotta go. Yep. My name is Ben Humble, CEO, and that's the shout. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) you just been humbled. Ben, thanks for coming in. Thank you, bro. That was fun. Guys, if you didn't get any nuggets out of that, then turn up your hearing aid and watch it again. (laughs) Otherwise, thanks for listening. We out. We out. Wow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.